Well, as is per usual, I think we begin this episode by saying... Do we still do this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that is the name of the show. And yeah. I think we're going to officially change the name of the yeah. show to... Or subtitle, do we at still... least. <laughs> <laughs> yes, David and Jonathan, the other things. We still do this. <laughs> okay, so I don't know how much has changed in your life since we last spoke, because I don't remember the last time we I spoke. Don't, I don't remember either. <laughs> All I remember is that last time we spoke, I had a visitor in my room that oh, was yes. very scary, and I've been made fun of by many people because of it, because it ended up being what I think is a cricket or a grasshopper, whatever oh, it was yeah. in Pinocchio. <laughs> Geppetto? What? Yeah, G- yes, Geppetto. Geppetto yes, was Geppetto. a cricket. No, Geppetto was the man who made Oh, yeah, Jiminy Pinocchio. Cricket. There we go. <laughs> Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Geppetto was the man. Pinocchio uh, was, was the, the boy. <laughs> He was the man. All right. Um, so, yeah, since then we've talked about nothing. Well, we had a Joker review, I think. We did okay, talk about so the Joker. That was fun. That was fun. That was fun. That was a bit of a one-off, and I think it was a successful one-off. But, yeah, let's catch up. You know, we we haven't spoken in a minute about life and things. Tell, yeah. me, tell me what's new. Well, so I'm a priest. You are a priest? <laughs> of God. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, and it's it's pretty good. You know, I really, really, really like being a priest. Being a priest and working <laughs> at the parish. Uh-huh. Uh, the community's great. The people are are wonderful. Um, there's how is there a however here that's coming? I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a little slow at times, um, mm. and that can that's kind of you know because like. Going from well, going from regency to theology, that was kind of a go at full speed and then kind of stop. <laughs> so going from full time teaching to then you know being a student again. Yeah, and now like I'm kind of in this in a similar schedule as being a student because there are only certain things that are set and everything else is kind of flexible. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then there is like the added, well, there is a weekly routine that I've got to keep up for homilies and things. So it's kind of a weird mix that I haven't Mm -hmm. quite figured out how to do well. Okay, so this actually, I'm glad that you mentioned this. Because what you're describing is similar to how I've been feeling recently as a student. Uh Uh-huh. Which is that I don't have like a nine to five. Yeah. What I have is like... I have like a three to five on Monday and then (laughs) a seven to nine on Wednesday and then all of Tuesday is empty. And that's fine because, you know, I have a lot of free time, but unstructured time very easily becomes unproductive time. Exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm, what I'm struggling with, you know, and for me, part of the problem is, and I'm sure for you as well, there's no office space. Right. Um, so I'm, I mean, I have my art studio that I spend most of my time in, um, and it kind of is an office, but not really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having that, um, you know, as, as much as I hate saying it, you know, having that nine to five desk job is kind of important when you're doing a lot of writing and doing a lot of well, scheduling and preparation and whatnot. If anything else, I think like having a full-time job in an office, like, okay, so I'll put it this way. I I don't think that I would ever want to work from home. Um, oh, God, no. <laughs> Which is basically what I'm I, doing right now. 
Yeah, so you're working from home, and I, I unlike you, I think I, I came to the conclusion that being a student is basically like being self-employed. Yeah. Is that you have some sort of like meetings you go to, you know, for a team or something, which is class, but generally I'm on my own, which is attractive because I can do a lot of work on my own, mm-hmm. but it's really difficult to stay structured and motivated. Like, for example, today, I just couldn't read my brain wasn't working and so i spent a good part of the day watching youtube you know and (laughs) (laughs) it's like well if i was trying if i was employed like even if i was self-employed that's money lost right exactly exactly so like there's the advantage of the liberty that you have but then there's a disadvantage of okay if i had a desk job I would actually have to leave work at a set time and arrive and Mm -hmm. i could really like separate out the space right Right. You know, yeah, so you like, know, when, I, when I'm here, this is what I do. Yeah. And even when I when we were back in Dallas, um, I never brought work into the community because, mm. um, I mean, sometimes I, we would, you know, we'd go grade in the library. Okay. That's, that's a little bit different. Um, but like in my bedroom, no, I would never bring that in just because you, yeah, I didn't want yeah, to, yeah. I didn't want to cross the streams as it were. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Well, let home be home and work be work. Exactly. And it's really difficult when, in your case, you live at work. Yeah. And in my case, I am a student, so I don't have an office. You know, I don't. Well, I mean, not I could only. Go, out of my, go ahead. I was going to say, I could, I could go out of my way to just always work in the library at yeah. school. And yeah. Like, but man, what a pain, you know, yeah. like to, because that's not my space. Like, it's not an office. It's mm-hmm. like I'm in a public space, you know. Right. Um. Like yeah. if I had a dedicated office space where I could leave stuff, then I right. wouldn't have to be carrying that's, books all the time. And yeah, that's huge. Yeah, and it's frustrating for me. Not only do I work at, do I live at work, but I don't even have an office at work. <laughs> right, right. So it's it's hard, um, and I can't. You yeah. know, there's not even a Starbucks around that I can go and pretend like that's an office. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because I do need. You know, I do need to be available for calls and and if people come in, I need to be able to hear confessions and things. So I do need to be somewhat close. So I can't sure, just sure. drive, you know, 20 minutes down the road to whatever. Right. Even though I may be yeah. more productive at a different location. Sure. Yeah. This, I think it raises maybe on a deeper level we can talk about, I think, like, like at least... In my worldview, I, I think space, and I think most people agree with this, is that space is sacred. So, like, mm-hmm. not only is space sacred, but also I think space is psychologically significant. So, I I enter into a different frame of mind when I enter into different right. spaces. Um, well, it's like having a prayer space. Totally. Like, my, my chair in my room is my prayer chair. Yeah. And when I sit there, I enter into a prayer mode, you know? Um and right now, like I'm sitting in my room right now and it's like, well, this is my desk. So this is my workspace and it's also my bedroom. And that's very difficult to manage in the long run. Like yeah. there, are, there are some moments where I'm like, oh, I can be very productive in my bedroom with, you know, my desk. But man, I got to tell you, it's just, it's taxing. It's very mm-hmm. taxing not having the structured separation, you know, of one thing to the other. Right. You know, so like we have work time. You should also, I think, also have workspace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, going back to a comment you made, I learned something recently that 
uh, I was out with the recently ordained priests of the Archdiocese of Denver at mm. a little for a little workshop, and they, uh, the vicar for clergy, starts talking about, oh, you gotta pay taxes, and I'm like, I, I have no idea what you're saying to me right now. Just kind of you pay taxes, glazing off. I don't. Jesuits don't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, somebody does for don't. us, but we don't do it ourselves. I don't think we do at all. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that could be a problem <laughs> that none of us know anything about this. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, one yeah. of the interesting things that he said, though, was uh, parish priests technically, even the vicars, technically are, like on the books, self-employed. Wow. So all of these things that we're saying, like, yeah, you know, it's good to think of yourself that way, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, man, you actually are. <laughs> Literally self-employed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's rough. That's rough. And yeah. if I, I mean, if I were actually self-employed, I would have to make some serious decisions about like getting office space, you know, in, an, in like a shared workspace or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's difficult, I imagine, with diocesan and clergy, because if on the books they're self-employed, but they're within the structure of a parish, right. then... You know, yeah. So, I mean, I whenever you tell me about your sort of scheduling woes, I often kind of roll my eyes a little bit because <laughs> I think to myself, like, well, Jonathan, you have all this free time. Like, why don't you just, why don't you just do something with it? You know? Yeah. I mean, that, that's part of it. Like, like you, if you, if you're saying you have a mass in the morning and then you have like an RCIA thing in the evening, yeah, like on a busy day, then what do you like? No, like, what and you that is to, part of it. That it so. Um, we had this conversation before we started recording about how I've been watching all these videos about doing stuff. And yeah, like making stuff. I'm not and, actually yeah. doing anything. <laughs> and part of what I realized needed to change was, well, I need to be more productive during the week so that like on a Saturday or even on my day off on Friday, um, that can be time not spent doing homily prep and other things like that uh-huh, uh-huh. the time being creative sure sure okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna throw you uh throw you a question here that maybe is a little bit polemical or provocative or i don't really know how <laughs> so to what extent do you think that celibacy is part of the issue <laughs> um and and the reason i ask is just because I cannot imagine that if I had a wife that she would let me just be unproductive. <laughs> so like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. That is a really good point. You, you know, so... Yeah, because then you I'd have like somebody to... literally saying, why aren't you doing anything? Go do something. Yeah, and now... now <laughs> Go to work. Not, and the reason I, I'm, I'm tentative about, you know, like bringing this up is because I don't think it's the point of marriage to have, no, you know, no. to have a boss, you know, like... Well... but. <laughs> But I guess what I want to bring in is that like once you enter into that kind of relationship with another person and you start bringing children into the world, it's like, yeah. well, your responsibility is kind of in your face. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, well, and yeah, I mean, it's, you, there's, uh, there's a part to marriage, to the sacramental reality of marriage that you are now in this together. You're holding each other accountable, responsible for each other's salvation. I mean, in sure. a sense. No, you know, I mean, you know yeah. what I mean? In a real sense. Yeah. Well, Jesus yeah. offers salvation, but anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So I guess I do. Keep going. No, 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 that's it. I mean, like, this is, that's a very real, a very real thing that, right. um, so, like, that I think in we my don't, case, that we don't have. I mean, our communities in an ideal world can offer that, you know, that accountability. Right. So, 
so in in maybe okay so like in in religious life or with the clergy you know as celibates we don't have families we don't have spouses so maybe just to abstract from that analogy so it's not all about whether or not we're married to abstract from it i think i think the thing that marriage offers and the thing that family life offers very immediately to a husband in our case is that is is responsibility is yeah like, there's a sense of purpose purpose and responsibility that's in your face you know yeah and so as priests we have responsibility clearly and we have a sense of purpose clearly but it's not always in our face you know so like mm, yeah it can be it can be clearly like you might have a hospital call or you know someone knocking at your door or you have a schedule for masses and sacraments but then outside of that outside of the formal structures then you're left with a lot of alone time that what do you do with all that yeah well i mean and even as you're saying this like the things that are coming up are Oh, well, you know, when you've got a guy working at a high school, well, he's got the classroom, that's his immediate responsibility. But then it's like, well, uh, most of the teachers at the high school are not priests. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they do have that, you know, some somebody else to help them along with these things. So, yeah. yeah. So, what is it? I well, don't you know. know. You know what we do? We do. What we do is we just keep working so well we, there, there it is yeah we become workaholics is because you know I, I i appreciate bringing it under the aegis of celibacy because i do think there's a celibacy question here and not just in the not being in a monogamous relationship with a person that's committed for life but in the in the sense of like my own attachment to healthy behavior and life and like purity of heart you know for me mm-hmm. celibacy is all about that beatitude right like blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see god yeah and, and in a lot of ways, you know, I maybe sort of spiraling off of what you mentioned in terms of scheduling and like, you know, not always having a lot to do and being bored or it's like, well, for me, there's a question there of like, okay, how much am I cultivating within my life a single mindedness and a like a purity of heart where God is all in all? And also like on a human level, how much am I being just a responsible man to where yeah. like I don't need someone yeah. to be telling me all the time to, you know, make my bed and you know, to clean the dishes or to finally get, finally clean the garage or finally, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But again, if we, if we tell us, and I see this, you know, we've both seen this in Jesuits that we've lived with. Um, there becomes a justification to not do those things because, well, I have to work. Yeah. 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 I can't take care of myself. I can't take care of my house. I can't, you know, mm. I have to have somebody else come in and clean my room because, well, I've got to work. Right, right. Dude, this, there's something here. There's like a whole thing here, a spirituality of yeah. celibacy that I think matters in that. I just have this image in my mind of friends that are married of like, you know, there's someone that's there looking out for them. You know, that, you know, if I noticed that my if I were married, if I noticed that my wife was you know, maybe slacking in her responsibilities or being a little bit short with the kids or, you know, maybe looks a little bit more tired than normal. Like I can call her out on that and be like, what's going on? And we can talk about it. When our life, it's just difficult because we don't really have those accountability structures, you know? Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. At least in the immediate sense. So like over a long period of time, I can approach you as my brother and be like, hey, Jonathan, like I've been noticing in the last couple of months, you've been kind of distant or out of, you know, the community a lot, like what's going on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I were talking about my wife, 
well, if she didn't come home for dinner tonight, well, then that's an immediate problem. <laughs> yeah, that's you a know? problem. Like, exactly. Anyway, I don't know. We're kind of talking well, about this. but No, it's. I mean, it's becoming more and more of a problem because our communities are becoming smaller. Hmm. And so, you know, in a, you know, in situations where, yeah, it's, I mean, we may, we may have one night a week where we're all expected to be at dinner, but if you don't show up for stuff, like, we just assume, well, he's got work to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's something unhealthy there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do got to tell you, though, I've been living in Spain, as you know, and <laughs> you, you sort of, you've touched on one of my hot button issues. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is... Can you can you predict what it is? You said it. Uh, showing up for dinner every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I live in a community, and this has been a challenge for me. Is that my community has uh, culturally, you know, the the main meal of the day is lunch, um, midday, and so we have a sit down lunch every day together as a community, um, every day. You know, yeah. And you know, Sunday to Sunday, and that was a shift. Um, but then on top of that, we also have a sit-down dinner every day, mm. Sunday to Sunday. Yeah. And so there's just a lot of time together. So on the other side of this argument or of this topic, it's like a lot of time together. And yeah, yeah. Almost too much time together. <laughs> um, well, you got to pick one. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's got to be a balance, right? There's, no, absolutely. Uh, so, like, I'm a big fan of community, but I'm also a big fan of privacy. And I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of, like, <laughs> like I need to close the door and be alone. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, this can be taken advantage of, but, and it has been, um, we're not monks. You know, we are, <laughs> we are religious, but we don't live in monasteries. True. Um, now, we, we should have some elements of that because we are religious. Because we do live in houses of religion. Um, but to, tr- I mean, this was the struggle that I think was going on back in the old days when, um, you know, when novices weren't really allowed to leave. Hmm. And you didn't ever buy your own clothes. The minister took care of that. You know, things right, like that. Right. Like, okay, I can see how that would be the case in, you know, places where they have more of a, like a vow of, st- of stability where, yeah, this is sure. your job to take care of our people and we don't leave. So yeah, we g- we're going to have dinner every day, lunch every day, because this is where yeah. we live, but we and don't really live one, that way. Sure. The, one of the, one of the criticisms of the particular community that I'm living in that people have told me, which I don't necessarily agree with completely, but is that it's more monastic than it's, it's sort of more typically monastic of all the communities here in Madrid is that we spend a lot more time formally together. And yeah, yeah I mean, you're right to point out we're not monks. And so there's got to be a tension there. Yeah. Now, of... there's there's a good thing about that, like totally, totally having that experience of. And I think this is the benefit of the novitiate that gets downplayed quite often is that it is yeah. a time apart. It is kind of monastic, hmm. um, which should be a, a balance, a counterbalance to our active life. Right. I think generally speaking, maybe this is a human thing, but there needs to be a balance between autonomy and dependence where I have dependency on, I depend on my community, you know, and I depend on their love and I depend on their care and I depend on their food and I depend on, you know, the the bills being paid. I depend on a lot of people here, but I also need autonomy. And I think that that applies to, you know, with marriage is that like, you know, an overly dependent husband becomes infantilized and an overly autonomous wife 
well, ceases to be married effectively, mm-hmm. right? So like, you know, there's got to be a relationship there that's mutually autonomous and mutually dependent. Um, and I think that's healthy. And I think that maybe for our life, it's a little bit difficult to find that balance, you know? So we become, we become very like workaholic because we maybe overemphasize the autonomy piece. Yeah. Um, or we, we become, become homebodies. Yeah. Or we become homebodies and never leave because we become overly dependent. Yeah. Um, and don't have real jobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So maybe like that's my challenge to you is that like, are you, are you maybe not exercising your autonomy as much as you could be, you know, in terms of your free time? Like you yeah. have. No, that's very fair. And I think accurate. Um, and the problem is I, that's not been part of the form of formation at least as has been apparent to me. Like, here's here's a good example. Um, Apparently, I'm in charge of the car that I'm using (laughs) to the extent of, like, it needs new tires. (laughs) Well, okay, hold on. (laughs) Bear with me here. You know, uh, winter's coming, and (laughs) that's right. Uh Uh, And the tires are kind of crappy. This is a 2003 Prius. Oh, nice. Um, now, <laughs> Great here's, gas a, mileage. here's a funny story called, I hardly have any credit. So how am I supposed to pay for new tires along mm. with all of the other things that I have to purchase on a monthly basis? Oh, yeah. Because your credit, yeah. So your credit is very low in your particular yeah. case because you didn't enter with a lot of credit. I entered with zero. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So wait, what's your point? Is your point that you, you're put in a situation now where you're asked to adult, but you haven't been given the, the tools to adult? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, on one hand, um, well, yeah, exactly. I, so, okay, so I can just imagine like, like okay, you're a 33-year-old man. 35? Wait, how old are you? <laughs> how old am I? <laughs> 34. 34. You're a 34-year-old person turning into a 35-year-old person soon. You know, you're an ordained priest, you know. It's like, at what point are people listening to us and saying, like, oh, my gosh, how, like, juvenile. Exactly. It's kind of scandalizing. You know, so, like, you can't pay for things or you can't uh, figure out how to spend your free time. It's like, well, how, how juvenile. And I, in our defense, I would say a little bit of, like, well, I think that married men probably also struggle with this, too. I can speak for men, at least. I don't know about women, but... <laughs> And a lot of it is, you know, getting married and having children quickly matures a guy, you know, yeah. because yeah, yeah, yeah. he has to. Th- I, I remember this with my brother. I remember seeing him, you know, become a father for the first time. And then I, I sort of, he sort of became an icon for me of what does it mean to become a man? Is someone who, well, all of a sudden his life is no longer his own, you know, is that why does he get out of bed in the morning? Is because he's got mouths to feed and that depend on him, you know, for survival. Yeah. And that's an aspect of my life as a as a soon to be priest that I've often thought about is that how will I know, you know, maybe in the existential sense, how will I know that I'm a man, you know, like a, mm-hmm. an adult? Um, and that's difficult because for my brother, it's sort of a given that, you know, when he becomes a married man and when he has kids, well, he's a man, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the, our case, like, when is that, you know? Yeah, it's kind of a it's it's difficult because we we are ordained later than like a diocesan priest. Um, so we do end up being <laughs> grown men that don't really know how to adult because we've been, we've lived in houses of formation and re- few of our 
apostolic communities are structured in the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we've got that brief three-year experience of living in apostolic communities, but then we're pushed back into communities of, you know, in, in Berkeley, there were like 80 of us. Right, right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it is difficult. And I think, I mean, I, I do think that this is, like, I am going through those, uh, it's kind of trial by fire, like me recognizing that I need to have my day more structured, you know, is what a person that's been self-employed for the first time goes through. Right, right. Um, so I think it is a natural process that it just happens to be happening, happening, happens to be happening a little bit later. Yeah. So also maybe in your defense, because I'm in a similar boat, I think we also have <clears throat> we have a structure of obedience that doesn't give us in, like exclusive rights over our autonomy. So in other words, to put it more frankly, like we just can't do whatever we want. You know, right. like there there are structures of responsibility that we are responsible to our superiors, you know, mm-hmm. so like, you know, you can't just go out and buy a new car, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, you can take care of the car you have, you know, so within within the realm of your of what's given to you. So, yeah, it's just kind of an age old question of religious life for me of like, to what extent is obedience liberating and to what extent is obedience, yeah. you know, infantilizing or. Yeah. And, you know, I think a big part of it is a question of communication. Like it needs to be, it needs to be clear. Like, okay, I live here now. I have this particular job. I take care of these particular things. Well, what does that mean? Like, what are, what are the expectations? And if that's not made clear, then I just have to kind of guess. And sometimes I'm going to guess wrongly. Yeah. 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 I think, well, to be honest though, I think in your case, you can probably venture, like, you know, Gandalf, you know, in the Mines of Moria, we can venture a little more light here. So I think that in your case, you could probably venture a little more into the, like, you know, I'm just going to do because. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And that, you know, I think that's kind of what you're saying with those videos that you're watching. It's like a lot of yeah. learning about making, but not any making. Yeah. And I think that's been, you know, that had to be like a realization in that kind of way because for most of our lives, we don't just do things kind of what you're saying mm. with obedience. <laughs> That's not right. Right. Like I'm not yeah. going to just move to Tampa because, or to new Orleans or wherever. Right. Like I have to be yeah. missioned. Yeah. I have to be given a job. Going, sure. I can apply to other to, things, but anyway, going back to the analogy of marriage, of course, like, you know, husband can't just do whatever he wants. Either, so. Right. Um, Anyway, so I'm glad you're doing well. <laughs> Are we still talking about me? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, hey, so uh, I wanted to ask you something. Um, you mentioned, maybe this was off the air, I don't know, but you mentioned something Something happened to you in a museum, and uh, you were going to tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, museums. What happened? Oh, gosh. So, <sighs> the Denver Museum have, of Art. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, just opened... A month ago. A, the museum just opened a month ago? No, let me finish. <laughs> David? <laughs> a month ago, it opened a new exhibit. A Monet oh. exhibit. Ooh. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was really cool. It was really cool. Uh, I enjoyed I like going Monet. and seeing. 
I was kind of surprised. This is kind of a footnote. I was kind of surprised at, because they basically had everything in chronological order. His early stuff and his, it ended with his later stuff. I was shocked at how much I didn't really like his later stuff. Okay. Like you, you, you think you know? Oh, he's had more time to refine and develop and hone his his style. Um, but I really liked his early to mid stuff. Um, okay, so his is the lilies, the lilies of the pond. Those are him, right? Yeah. So he painted lilies his whole life, right? Yeah, yeah. It was almost all. It's almost all landscapes. So. Earlier, what happens he, in his later life? Well, it becomes a little bit more abstract, um, and in my opinion, a little bit more repetitive um, or derivative yeah. of what he was doing already. So, I correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't he go blind? Isn't he going blind <laughs> in his later life? <laughs> Is he? <laughs> I, I, I no think idea. there's. I think there might be something to that. I I think I heard this somewhere, and I could be completely making this up, but that. In his later life, he was losing his sight. Oh, so is that why they started turning into more abstract? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's why a lot of his pa- <laughs> that's why a lot of his paintings started to become, you oh. know, fuzzier and a lot more abstract because he was losing his sense of sight. Well, there it is. Now I, could I guess I'm just not a fan some... of a blind paint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Sorry. Um, I could, is that insensitive? I mean, I could... No, no. I mean. There have been deaf composers that have been really good, so mm-hmm. you know, why not good blind painters? There <laughs> probably are some. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. So I I like Monet. I, I haven't seen a lot of his later stuff, but I yeah. I don't know about you, man, but I freaking love impressionism. I do too, actually. It's really cool. I like how, and so this gets to what I wanted to talk about. I like oh. how you have to really. <laughs> Um, stand back and see something. Like when you get up close, it's just a bunch of colors. Yeah. Uh, I like that a lot, actually. And your brain does a lot of interpreting, which I think Mm -hmm. is brilliant for not just seeing something pretty, but actually um, like exercising your mind and your imagination. Mm Yeah. to be able to put these things together and and come up with come up with stuff, come up with a story or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think that's brilliant. So I used to really dislike impressionism. Uh-huh. Um and and the reason I disliked it was because and you'll hear this from a lot of like very traditionally minded people that really prefer the stereotypical, like neoclassical, you know, heavily like figure based art um i used to be sort of in that school like very interested in neoclassical you know representational art and and i used to justify it saying that it was capturing the real Mm -hmm. um and my objection to surrealism or in particular with impressionism was that it was i I was interpreting it as it was making a statement about the non-concrete nature of things Um, Uh that things aren't substantial that you know, if you just look close enough, you'll realize that nothing really has shape. Everything is subjective mm-hmm. interpretation and everything is just, you know, squint. And then maybe you'll get, you know, a sense of what it is, but you'll never really know what it is. Yeah. Um, and, and so I objected to it in, on the, sort of those grounds. But the older I get, the more I appreciate 
I think even in the more traditional sense, I think Impressionism does a good job of conveying a very traditional idea, especially within Christianity, is that there is substance there, but that substance that's irreducible to to being captured fully, right? Like that there's a reality there that's ineffable. And I think if, if I, I started looking at it that way, as opposed to saying like, oh, this is a fuzzy picture because <laughs> nothing is real. Yeah. I started seeing it as, no, this is a figure that is not completely captured because you can always capture it more. There's always well, more yeah, you know, and to I the think substance. To your point. Uh, Does I, that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, and I completely agree with you. I think there is a, a, a very deep Christian understanding of um, of beauty and goodness in there in and of life of the church. In uh, um, Because especially with an Impressionism um you have to kind of work at looking. Yeah. Like oh, with, yeah. with something that's just super, super representational, even though it may be technically beautiful, like you don't really have to do any work. You don't have to do anything. Um, sure. Whereas with an, with somebody like Monet, like I remember at one point in the, in the exhibit, I just took a step back and was really struck at how each of these um, on this wall, there are like six of his paintings, um, like taking them all together at once. Like that was, yeah. that was a new thing, um, for me. Yeah. Um, and there was, it was beautiful. <laughs> I, yeah. I just stopped and was in awe of not one particular thing about one particular painting, but the way that all six of these things looked side by side. So, but what did you mean when you said that, like, with representational art, you don't have to do a lot of work, but with, what do you mean by that? And whereas in, like, maybe more Impressionist or Surrealism, you... Yeah, well, going back to what did... I said about using, engaging your imagination, like, actively oh. exercising your your thinking process and asking so, yourself, okay. not necessarily what is this person trying to say, which is a big pet peeve of mine, and I have a whole oh, yeah, to turn to to reduce the art to... Yeah, but what know. is what is the beauty here? How am I experiencing God in this thing? Um, okay, so I'm going to object here because the sort of the traditionally please. minded would probably say with the representational art that the the whole point is that you don't have to do a lot of work. Yeah. So that you can just be in the presence of um, Yeah, I don't see a I don't see that distinction. So, okay, so here's my example. So my example here in Spain in Madrid um, the Prado Museum is this wonderful collection of Spanish art and, you know, international art, but mostly Spanish painters, um, very like famous painters. So you have, uh, a lot of, um, Velasquez, you have a lot of, um, uh, what's his name? Um, escaping me. Oh, Goya. You have a lot of Goya. Um, you have a ton of stuff here that's very famous anyway. So I, I go there frequently to admire some of the paintings and, I am often just dumbfounded and struck by the famous crucifixion scene from Velasquez, you know, the one mm -hmm. with the deep jet black background yeah. with the the hair falling in front of the face. Yeah. Um, like that's hyper representational. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just dumbfounded by it. I just yeah. stand in front of it for minutes. Yeah. You now, know? And, don't get me wrong. I love that stuff. <laughs> Like it, and right. it does convey beauty and truth and goodness. Um, 
So, but like, I don't feel like I have to do any work there. I just feel like I can just be in the presence of and. Well, you had to go. You had okay, to, so you had to you had to. Okay, so well, let me, and let this, me, get, let me... this gets to to a point that I wanted to make about about my experiences of this exhibit. Um, okay, yeah. Okay, so why don't you finish your point? Because I feel like I keep interrupting. You. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so <laughs> this is going to take a little bit. So if you wanted to make a point, you should do that now. My point. So I'll just I'll just put it out there. I'll just put it out okay. there, and then you can pick it up and take it where you want to go. My thought is is that with the Velasquez painting, that when you say something like you don't have to do a lot of work, I think that I think about that with prayer. It's like you know, it's a spirit that intercedes for us on our behalf. Yeah. And yeah. we don't have to do a lot of work. Um, whereas when I think about surrealism or with a lot of contemporary art, especially contemporary art, uh, there's a lot of work to be done of asking the questions of like, oh, what is he doing here? What's in, what's the intention behind this? What does yeah. it mean? I don't care like about all any this, of that stuff. All this like discursive work happening in your brain where you're like trying to figure it out. Yeah. And to me, the, anal- the analogy to prayer is a really important one. Like, with something like that crucifixion scene with Alaska is like, I don't have to do any thinking. I just have to do a lot of like receiving. Yeah. And with contemporary art, I don't do any receiving. I just do a lot of like head scratching, you know, yeah. a lot of what is this thing? You know? Yeah. Um, that's what yeah. I thought you were getting at. Is no, that no, no, not at all. Not at all. You know, and I, I can't help but go back to this point that Tolkien made about why he disliked allegory. Um, oh, yeah. It's too literal. It's too literal, and he he even said it chains the viewer or the reader into thinking what the author or artist is thinking. Like, you have no other choice. Now, you can like stuff. I mean, this is the difference between The Lord of the Rings and The Chronicles of Narnia. I like them both. But Narnia is way more allegorical, and if you don't buy into that, well, then it's not going to mean as much. But see, that's the beautiful thing about the Chronicles of Narnia is that the allegory is necessary because it's a book for children. Sure, absolutely. So, like, allegory <laughs> works for children. You know, it's yeah. it's good. Like, you, the the Lord of the Rings isn't really a children's book. Yeah. So, I mean, like, anyway, again, I'm go, not trying go, to go with your thing. I'm not trying to say that we can't. Like, you need to know what it's for. An allegory right. is not doesn't challenge my brain as much. Or my imagination, yeah. I should say. So anyway, yeah, and I yeah. think this may be, I may be getting at this with, um, with why I was frustrated with this exhibit. Okay, go. So let me paint a scene for you, David. Mm-hmm. So this is a pre-showing or whatever. Um, I, you I'm mean a just mem- a, sh- a showing? No, no. <laughs> well, it was a showing for members only. Ooh. Uh, as a member of the D- Denver Museum of Art, I got to... Uh, go see the exhibit before it actually opened to the public. That's cool. Um, I mean, there are loads of people there. It wasn't... Anyway. Um, it wasn't a private showing for you? Yeah, which would have been pretty cool. And I would have appreciated that way more. Because, you know, you go into lines, you know, to get into things. And I don't like being in lines in general. Uh, Me neither. Like, it's just, I get anxious and I get... Uh, nervous i'm going to do the wrong thing or go into the wrong place and then they start right. handing you things like here's a brochure here's a sticker have you seen i don't know if in spain they have these little handheld they look like old nokia phones for you to listen to tour oh, yeah. people speaking oh, i hate that i hate that yeah like i hate those too 
but they handed it to me and I took it. <laughs> I don't know why I took it. I felt uncomfortable mm -hmm. refusing it, even though the people in front mm -hmm. of me refused it. So I was carrying the stupid thing around with me the whole time. I tried to listen to it once and hated it. It was like an ad for something. I was like, I'm not going to listen to this. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm walking around. All of these people, like, I kid you not, I felt like I was in the zombie apocalypse. They were just walking around with these things up to their faces um, mm -hmm. and just kind of going one to one to one to one. Like not, and then looking, getting really up close and looking at the the label to read everything that goes into this. Like that's, it just felt like consuming what was happening. Oh yeah. Rather than being there and looking at this amazing art. Hmm. Like I felt uncomfortable stopping in the middle where I, you know, like when I just mentioned taking that step back and looking at those six paintings, mm -hmm. I did that pretty much in every room that I went in. Mm -hmm. And it was hard because all these people are hustling and bustling, trying to, you know, trying to see everything and then taking pictures of these things. I'm like, put your phones down. Yeah. This exhibit yeah. isn't even open. I mean, I can, I can understand coming back, you know, a second, a third or fourth time and then taking some pictures, getting in and really, you know, diving into a particular thing. But like you people are seeing this thing for the first time. Right. Appreciate it. <laughs> like, you know, the great irony here. This isn't the time to, to get in and consume everything. Sure. For me, the irony is that these are all members of the museum, so they can yeah. all come back freely. Yeah. Anytime right? I mean, they, they want. Can... Yeah, literally. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. That's... So I just found myself getting more and more frustrated the more I walked. Like, what's happening here? <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah. Now, and I, and I do freely admit that my thing with um, title cards and descriptions um, I have I would argue a rational hatred of them some might see that as an irrational hatred what's um, your hatred of them for I just think they do more harm than good like don't read the title look at the art <laughs> yeah yeah I'm going to disagree with you on that one so are you done telling your story so I can interject now? <laughs> you can interject. I've been eating some almonds while you told your story. Mm, mm, thank you. So I 100% sympathize with your experience because I've been going to a lot of museums recently since I've been in Europe. And I have an allergy to tour guides and allergy towards those audio devices. Not because I think that they're evil or bad. I just am like you. I want to default to allowing the exhibit to speak to me, you know, in whatever way, you know, the spirit is moving, you know, and it could be that today that this painting catches my eye and, you know, it's not a scientific enterprise, it's an art enterprise. So like, if this was a science exhibit, then I'm going to go and like meticulously observe every little detail and learn everything that I can and, you know, ask that question, like strap the, strap the painting to a chair and beat it out, beat out of it. It's meaning, you know, like, tell me what, what you're about. Um, and so I've been I've been feeling a lot of that too with a lot of the museums I've been going to to the point where, with the Prado here in Madrid, I decided to become an like a, a one year subscriber to the museum so that I could just go freely, and not feel pressured. Like that's the other thing is that people go and they feel pressured to see everything. Yeah, in get one your visit. money's worth. 
you know? And it's like, I don't want to do that. I just want to go and see a few paintings and then go get lunch and go home and then come back another day, you know, and see some more. Um, now, here, here's where I disagree with you. I agree with everything you said up until that last point about the title card. Um, <laughs> yeah. Tell because, me. Because, so this is the wisdom of, I think, so I apologize to the audience for being very preachy. You know, we've been talking a lot about religious life, but I, I find that there's great wisdom in the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. So Ignatius, in the annotations, he gives instructions to the director of the retreat. And he says in annotation number two, he says, give enough information to get the person going. I'm mm -hmm. paraphrasing. But not so much information that the person then doesn't pray. So when you're trying to describe to them, for example, if I were to say, Jonathan, I want you to pray on the nativity. And then I say, you know, I want you to Luke, I want you to use Luke's version and I want you to pray for the grace, you know, of, you know, seeing Jesus in the manger and feeling loved by him or something. Yeah. Like to me, that's enough information. Yeah. But some directors will go so far as to say, like, and I want you to try and like get close to the child and hold the child and to really like, you know, feel the swaddling clothes and just go on and on and on and on with all these details, which to me is overkill. Because then it's illuminating the experience. Yeah. It's replacing the experience with instructions. Right. So why do I say all that? With the title card, I feel like it's giving me some information, but not too much information. I think that the audio devices are giving me too much information. Yeah. And so the benefit of the title card is at the very least, I have some sense of what I'm looking at. Because if I go in completely blind, I don't even know what I'm looking at. Like, I don't yeah. know what. So like... I mean, is this a Goya? Is this a Velasquez? Well, like, that's okay. actually a so that's, helpful context, you know? Well, exactly. And I, I agree with that, which is why going, I, th I think going into a Monet exhibit is the title card. Or going onto the third floor where they've got Renaissance paintings kind of is the title card. Or if you're going to go you into the context. sculpture wing. Yeah. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah, I see that. So that gives you enough context to know what you're getting into. Yeah. And um, like. Now, and I'm not saying never, well, I kind of do take this to the extreme sometimes and never look at the things. Uh, I yeah. do that. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> what, take things uh, to the extremes? Yeah. Yes, I knew that. <laughs> now, at the very least, I would recommend to anybody out there listening, look at the painting first and then look at the title card. Yeah, I think that's good. Even look I at it, really don't good. just glance at it either, like... This is the thing that uh, the other thing that frustrates me with the majority of museum goers is you just kind of go and glance, go and glance, stop and look at something, and then look at right. the title card. Now, so yes, I second that advice. It gets to a different topic though about museum culture for me, which is museum fatigue. Is that oh huge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge. Is it there's too there's too much? There's too much. Like and this like, this Monet exhibit almost is too much. Like and that may be the reason why I didn't really enjoy his later stuff was because I was fatigued at that point. Right. And so this whole idea of even spending a lot of time with a few paintings is not realistic if I'm gonna get through the whole thing. Even yeah. that language, right? Get through the thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah, you're consuming it. Right. So I think in that sense, I've, I'm glad that I've become a member of the Prado Museum and mm -hmm. I can just go at my leisure, you know? Yeah. And that's another key word, right? Is, you know, having leisure. Time. Yeah. Go and enjoy um, it. Right. Right. Um, no, I think all that is good. So one, th one thing that I've decided to do with the Prado, for example, is I go to the Prado 
and my tack is to see a few things, you know, and enjoy. And then maybe in a future visit, I'll get the audio guide. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I've already been, I've already yeah. been through the museum. Totally, totally, totally fine with that. And then, yeah, like a, a whole other level of experience now. Yeah, exactly. You know? Because I'm allowing myself to then experience without it, and then experience with it, etc. But it's not just this. Like I went once, and I mass consumed as much information as possible. Exactly. Like that's yeah. that's data pumping into my brain. Yep. Sensual experience, right? So I have the 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 visual information, but then I also have the like scientific information that I'm just injecting into my brain. Um, yep. Totally agree. I think that's perfectly fine. Yeah. You know, we haven't. <clears throat> one thing we haven't commented on is maybe just sort of zooming out a bit. How do you feel about museums at all? Like I like when you go to a museum, do you like I don't know about you, I'll just put my cards on the table. I feel I feel sad when I go inside yeah. museums. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm grateful, you know, to be able to experience these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but part of me is like like mourns <laughs> the fact yeah, that these aren't in churches anymore. Yeah, well, it's kind of like a mausoleum to, like, art, you know, yeah. is what a museum is. No, I is, completely you know? it's, agree. It's like, this is where paintings go to die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. true, though, you, you know? know? No, I do agree. Um, and the fact that they, they kind of take on this, oh, man, how do I want to say, kind of a bougie nature. Like, mm. only the upper class can go and enjoy... You gotta pay right. money to see it, you know all this stuff. Oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's high class, you know, and it's like this. Yeah, you know, to appreciate art, you gotta be high class, and everything. It's like to me, this is. Yeah. This is sad. It's sad. It's ridiculous and it's sad, and it's like, well, the beautiful thing about having paintings and everything in art in uh in churches, and I think this is one of the ways that Rome is still a really beautiful place, is that you go into these churches and you see a Caravaggio just in one of the mm-hmm. side altars. Yeah. You know? And it's like what is like that's incredible that yeah. how is this carve like the call of saint matthew i don't know if you knew this but the caravaggio call of saint matthew is in a side altar really i did not know that you know so you go inside this church uh i can't remember what it's called but you go inside this church in rome and you go to one of the side altars one of the side altars <laughs> and there are three caravaggios mm. around that altar and one of them is a call of saint matthew and it's not even the one that's in the center <laughs> it's right. on the left right, right? like it's I don't know. So I think that that's a really beautiful testament to what Absolutely. what art is for. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. Hmm. It's really frustrating. Um, yeah. Not just the you're right. Not just the the way that the art is kind of relegated to these particular places and these particular environments and you know etc. But also the way that it's become kind of consumer culture. Yeah, that's a really great point. That's a really great point is that, and I think that has less to do with the museum and more to do with us, mm-hmm. you know, that, that we go to consume them because the museum isn't forcing it down our throats, right? Right, like, I mean, right, right, right. The tour guides are, you know, the <laughs> tour guides are, but, you know, the museum is just there. It opens mm-hmm. its doors and you can go in and then you can take your time or not. Um, right, exactly, exactly. But then you've got people like me who feel, who get anxious when I try to take my time and <laughs> like, I feel like I can't. Yeah. Yeah, that happened to me. I went to, there's a, Sorolla is a, is a Spanish painter uh, from the early 20th century. And he has, his house here in Madrid became a museum dedicated to his work. Mm-hmm. And I went to that museum recently. And it was a really beautiful collection of his work. And it was funny because I kept, I do this a lot. I I like to return to paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So like if I if I get to the museum at 10 o'clock and I see a few paintings and I move on to the next room, you know, maybe by 1030, I'm back in that first room to go back and look at that painting again. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I kept doing that. And the 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 people who run the people who stand around and shush you like they <laughs> they kept they kept looking at me weird because i kept going against the current you know i kept going back to a different room that was one of the first rooms um because i don't know about you but like i like to repeat you yeah know, oh absolutely yeah well and that's the yeah. that's what we're talking about with yeah when you go back for the second and third time then pick a different angle you know do something different um yeah. and sometimes yeah. that that happens in um in your first, like with, um, there was a particular room in this Monet exhibit where I started to notice that uh, he was doing a lot of um, landscapes of of water, a lot of ponds and things. And the sky and the, so the top and the bottom were the same color. Uh, and I thought, wow, that's really, that's really cool. And I kept noticing it. So I went back and started seeing when that, when he started doing that and and then taking a step back and looking at all of these mm. in view. So like, yeah, that, I think that's totally what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Repeat. Go yeah. back. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, was it a good exhibit in the end? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I'm, I'm saddened that I haven't been able to go back. Um, my, Friday, my days off have been pretty, pretty busy uh, the past couple of weeks. So hopefully mm. coming up, I'll be able to. To go back. So your days on are pretty uh, unfilled, <laughs> but then your days off are pretty busy. Isn't that weird how that happens? Yeah, that's you might want to look at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as you know, I have a late dinner that I got to get to. So, well, why don't we put a pin on it? Pin in it there. Can I ask you one thing before you go? Oh, sure. So we're coming up on Advent. We. Oui. And which comes up on the Nativity of Our Lord. Uh huh. So, what are you slash what are we gonna do to actively prepare for the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ into the world? Uh, is there a right answer that you want me to say? No, not or at all. Just, just asking. <laughs> are you doing no, anything? Asking. Are you doing anything special for Advent? Well, I'm gonna try and stop sinning. <laughs> That's gonna be hmm. one of my goals. Nice. Um, <laughs> Um, she was to give up sinning all year, but I'm going to make a concerted effort this time. Um, yeah, I've been writing down some thoughts. One of them is to, I did a really good job during Lent of cutting out Reddit, uh, uh-huh. which was huge. And I was, it was gone through like August, but then I moved to Spain and, you know, life changed. <laughs> and so I got back on Reddit. So I'm thinking about getting rid of Reddit a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, Partly because I don't really do any spiritual reading because I read so much for school. Yeah. That and so much of my reading is spiritual. Like there's, I'm studying spirituality, so like, um, <laughs> I don't really do any like spiritual reading. So I've been thinking about that, about like cutting out some of my social media time, Reddit and Instagram and YouTube, and maybe spending a little spending a little time doing some spiritual reading. Yeah, I like that. You How know, you? well, actually, very similar. And I actually started this past weekend. Uh, I think I mentioned this to you before, but then I never did it because I kept forgetting. Um, just keeping my weekends social media free. Oh, you do that? Well, I did this this weekend. This uh, past is that Saturday. why you don't text me back? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, uh, 
No, that's good. So like Twitter and Instagram, Reddit, YouTube. Yep. yep. And there it was, it's actually got frustrating a little bit. Like so often I would open my phone or take my phone out of my pocket and out of habit, click on the Twitter button. And oh, then yeah. immediately close it. It's like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should put a limit on it. Your, your phone allows yeah, you yeah, to yeah. put restrictions, you know? Yeah. But I want to um, just not use it at all and not. You could just delete the app, you know? Well, just on the weekends, though. I'm not going to do that every Friday. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's smart, though. I, I like that idea. I couldn't do that, but I, I'm appreciative <laughs> that you can. Um, Why not? I don't want to. <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't really feel I don't really feel the need to, you know? You just said you were going to um, give up Reddit. <laughs> yeah, for, like, you know, a four-week block. Like, I don't really feel the need right now to do it, like, intermittently, you know? Um, you're like doing intermittent fasting. I'm like doing keto. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's the difference. All right. Uh, are you going to add some spiritual reading? You want to read something together? Uh, sure. What do you want to read? Well, I mean, the last time we decided to read something together, we didn't, we didn't. do it. So not at all. So do you want to actually give uh, the infancy narrative a go, Pope Benedict? Oh, 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 yeah. Because last time we did. Uh, the second one, didn't we? I yes. think we attempted. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we could do that. I have it. I have it here. It's with me, and I can I can do that. Yeah. Um, it's it really short, <laughs> and that'll be really helpful. Um, and I'm actually glad you said that because I was already, already thinking what would be a good like Ratzinger thing to read. Um, sweet. Done. Are we gonna do that? Done. Do it. Okay. Great. So we'll do that. That'll be our spiritual reading. And feel free to join us on uh, on the reading if you'd like. That's Anybody right. that's listening here. That's right. All right. Cool, man. Well, I got to get right. to my late dinner. Enjoy dinner. All right, dude. Peace out.